Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Once you've heard high-fidelity reproduction, you'll be hard to satisfy with anything less. Now, uh, the first musical number on the program will be a piccolo solo, which we will skip. What is so damn important? Who are these people? After Jussie Smollett taking the stand in his defense, Smollett testified that CNN anchor Don Lemon texted him at the time of the attack, sharing information that the Chicago Police Department did not believe Smollett's account of what happened. I'm just wondering what Act 4 is here. Is this going to go full Scooby-Doo mode? My colleague has a new book out called uh, The Laptop from Hell, and I was hoping that you could confirm that the laptop is indeed authentic. Well, uh, the president's son is not an employee of the federal government and as it relates to the book I have neither, neither had the time nor interest in exploring or reading the book. We in New York City have decided to stop the further growth of COVID and will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. And I think it's time for a, a total vaccine mandate for all air travel. Did you say free fries when you get vaccinated? Um, I got vaccinated but there's also a a burger element to this? If this is appealing to you, just think of this when you think of vaccination. Mmm. Vaccination. Mmm. <laughs> I'm getting a very good one. Jack Riccardi. Afternoons 4 till 7. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. I'll bet he is. Uh, 407 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack Riccardi here. Very uptight white man. Just wanted to get that out there. My pronouns are he and him. And you can join our show at 210-599-5555. Yeah, what happened to... Oh, if we just give people cookies and donuts and french fries, they'll all get the shot. (laughs) We've come a long way from that. Those seem like the good old days now. Uh, KTSA News is reporting today that uh, the SAISD has um, reinstated the mask mandate as of today. They say they're having an uptick in COVID cases in the SAISD, and so they've decided to go back to requiring everybody to wear masks at all times. Dr. Marty McCary is going to be on our show in just about half an hour. You, you've heard him here many times. He's from Johns Hopkins. Uh, he, I think, makes as much sense as anybody does about COVID-19. We're going to talk about mask mandates, vaccine mandates, Omicron, home testing, uh, all kinds of things. Dr. McCary here in just a little while on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain... Boris Johnson, they call him Bojo in the headlines, uh, says they're going to Plan B to fight the Omicron variant because Omicron could overtake Delta as the dominant strain of the virus. The Prime Minister says we must act on the data. Well, the data in the U.K. is, as of this morning, 568 confirmed cases. I mean, there's probably more of it, right? It's 
Whenever you hear it's in this place, this place, and this place, you know that just means that there's more places and more cases that they haven't detected yet. But it's also becoming apparent that the people with Omicron are known to have Omicron mainly because they test positive for it. It's not coming to the fore in the form of a higher death rate, a higher hospitalization rate, or people feeling sicker or in some cases feeling any uh, symptoms at all. So plan B in England is mandatory face masks in public places starting Friday, vaccine passports, show your papers, uh, entering um, places like clubs, restaurants, uh, sporting events, things like that. Uh, So they're going into plan B at the end of the week in England. But is Omicron really bad news? I mean, given that all viruses mutate, um, and so another mutation was not ever out of the question, is Omicron actually bad news? The CEO of the largest healthcare company in South Africa says Omicron seems so mild that it might actually be the end of COVID-19. Richard Friedland is the CEO of Netcare Limited. He says, so far, there's no need to panic, and Omicron might be a good thing. We have not seen significant increases in hospital admissions. In our primary care clinics, it's mainly people under 30. He says, quote, I actually think there is a silver lining here, and this may signal the end of COVID-19, in that it is attenuating itself to such an extent that it's highly contagious, but doesn't cause severe disease. Now, if you go back to 1918, we used to hear a lot of comparisons to 1918, right, in the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu went away. They never did figure out if it simply ran out of hosts or if it mutated because they didn't have the the technology to map it and study it in, in mutated form. It may have just mutated to the point where people who thought they had a cold in 1918 or 1919 or 1920 really had some sort of Omicron-ish version of the Spanish flu. We're going to talk about that with uh, Dr. McCary here in just a little bit. The governor of Michigan, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, has come out in opposition to President Biden's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. She says that would be a problem in Michigan. The Detroit Daily News says, uh, has uh, Whitmer saying, quote, the state is an employer too, the state of Michigan. I know that if the mandate happens, we will lose state employees. That's why I haven't proposed a mandate at the state level. Some states have. We have not. We're waiting to see what happens in court. And Politico did a story about how Democrats are, quote, unquote, souring on vaccine mandates. They cited Gretchen Whitmer who, remember, was on Joe Biden's shortlist to be vice president. By the way, everybody on that list now looks like a better choice than the one he made. Um, But uh, Politico says Whitmer isn't the only Democrat sounding these notes. Senator Joe Manchin says he will vote against funding mandates. Senator John Tester of Montana, these are all Democrats. Uh, Also, Governor Phil Murphy of Virginia, uh, excuse me, of uh, New Jersey, uh, shortly before his unexpectedly close reelection win, uh, came out against a vaccine mandate for teachers. Governor Kathy Hochul of New York 
taken over for Andrew Cuomo, says he is she's opposed to a broad-based mandate for private sector employers. What's happened here? Well, I, I can only guess, but I'm pretty sure what's happened here is they're looking at some frightening poll numbers. Remember, the two political parties do the most sophisticated polling. The, the polling you and I hear about that's done by NBC News or the Washington Post is amateur hour and primitive compared to the polling or operations that go on within and under the auspices of the of the Democratic and Republican parties. They study us to death. And I am guessing that they're having some sort of near-death experience looking at their polling numbers for next year and probably finding that across the board, even among voters they take for granted, like African-American voters, Hispanic voters, women voters, urban voters, vaccine mandates are just really unpopular, just stink to high heaven. And that's why all of a sudden they're having this conversion moment. They've, they're coming to the altar and, and converting against the vaccine mandate. Now, this story's been kicking around for a couple of days. Have you heard about this uh, woman in uh, Los Angeles who um, says that her son, her son goes to the Barack Obama Prep Academy, make your own joke, and she says, Maribel Duarte is her name, she says that her 13-year-old son brought home a vaccine card one day, and she was shocked because she had not ever consented to him getting the vaccine. She's not anti-vax. She has the vax, but she didn't want him to get it because her pediatrician had recommended against it for him. So her boy comes home with this vaccine card, and she asks him what, what's going on, and he says that uh, they offered him uh, pizza if he would get the shot. And according to her... They told her son, don't say anything. She told KNBC in Los Angeles, it hurt to know he got a shot without my permission. Even though, again, she says she's not against the vaccine and has it herself. So the Barack Obama Global Prep Academy, and now a couple of other parents have also come out and said this happened with their kiddos as well. You know, this is the kind of crazy that we've got to work through if we're ever going to save this country. In other words, this is the kind of shocking, showing people who they really are behavior that the left is now doing, and it's it's waking people up. And I bring this stuff up not to discourage you, because when we talk about stories like this, you probably start to think, you know, this country's gone to hell. I mean, it's over. Turn the lights out. But I, I'll tell you, we have to get this in front of people people have to see what woke means what what the new left really looks like this isn't your parents or grandparents democratic party these aren't the so-called limousine liberals of the 70s and 80s this isn't the democratic party of bill clinton or tip o'neill or 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 lbj these people are crazy i mean Giving a kid pizza and doing something to him and telling him not to say anything, don't tell any adults, that's like what the guy in the white van did, or so the rumor went when we were kids, right? Now it's the school. I mean, it's a crazy story. 
And if it was a one-off, if you'd say, well, this is just something that you'd never find anywhere, but unfortunately it's not. And by the way, we have a saying on this show, good ideas don't require force. Maybe we should amend it to good ideas don't require pizza. What is it with giving away junk food and this vaccine? Remember when the vaccine first came out, that was going to be the plan. We're going to give people free Krispy Kreme. We're going to give them free McDonald's fries. We're going to get, what is it about junk food and the vaccine? Were we all supposed to go get a hamburger after we got our vaccine? I mean, what is the deal there? Mm. But see, that's how little they think of you. They think that, um, you know, if they can't, first they try to persuade you. Then they try to bribe you, and the, the stuff they try to bribe you with tells you everything you need to know about their view of you. And then when that has not worked and the fries and the donuts didn't work, they go to authoritarianism, you know, scaring people. How would you like to lose your job? How would you like to never be able to find another one? How would you like it that your kids couldn't leave the house or be with their friends? So that's they're showing us who they are, and people are seeing it, and I'm all for that. We need to work through that. Uh, so here's that story from uh, the Barack Obama Prep Academy in Los Angeles. This is the KNBC story I told you about. Listen to this. Parents in the L.A. Unified School District are accusing schools of giving their kids the vaccine without their consent. Maribel Duarte says that her 13-year-old son, a student at the Barack Obama Global Prep Academy in South L.A., brought home this vaccine card after getting the shot at school. And she says that he said yes when somebody offered the vaccine in exchange for some pizza. It hurt it to know that... He got a shot without my permission, without me even knowing or signing any papers for him to get this shot. LAUSD says student matters are confidential and wouldn't comment specifically, but did say it's a program and it's meant to ensure several steps are in place for vaccinated students to get prizes. All students 12 and above in the district have to be vaccinated by January 10th or they could be forced back into virtual only okay. learning. So you get the idea. Who's running the vaccine program, Ghislaine Maxwell? I mean, here's some pizza. Don't tell your parents. That sounds like what they probably use to groom Jeffrey Epstein's victims. So nice going. You've managed to take the vaccine, which in and of itself is an incredible scientific achievement. You've turned it into, hey, kid, I've got puppies in my van. I mean, this is the desperation of the modern American left. They will go... To any length. The, I, I'm serious. I don't think there's anything they wouldn't try. You'll be pretty soon, they'll just have needles sticking out of the wall in places and hoping people just bump into them. Here's some pizza. Don't tell your parents. These are the schools that won't let you bring cupcakes in unless you can prove in 10 different ways that there's no. Uh, you know, peanut content in them, right? And these are the schools that won't let kids bring chapstick or Tylenol for personal use because they might turn into, you know, drug dealers. And these are the schools that require permission slips for everything else. But they can give your kid a vaccine and some pizza to hush him up. (laughs) It is crazy. And crazy is what people need to see. Crazy is what people are waking up to. Crazy is why parents are going to school board meetings. In my whole ever-loving life, I never thought I'd see people lining up to go to school board meetings when I was a young baby reporter 
One of the first things they send you to cover is the local school board meeting. It's the most boring thing ever. People are lining up to get in and speak and speak out, and they're taking an interest in all this stuff. And it's good. It has to happen. This is how this has to go. We, we now have to go through this kind of craziness, this kind of ridiculousness. And, you know, there's a story out today that says, um, and I believe the Wall Street Journal did this survey, but it says that uh, my, the, there's a huge realignment coming in minority voting, and it's, and it's being driven by a number of things. But, you know, th- this is the kind of thing that will finally lose the trust uh, minority voters have in the Democratic Party, in these big blue cities and states. This is why there's a massive realignment going on of people moving from blue states to red states. It's not going to happen all at once. It's not going to happen all next year. And it won't be linear. It will come and go. But they've, they, they've just, they finally showed everybody who they really are. It isn't up to some conservative radio host to explain or speculate anymore. You can see it. Everybody's seeing it. And again, we, we need that. Right now, we welcome back to the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line from Johns Hopkins University. And we're always very honored to have him back with us, Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary, good afternoon to you. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. We have a major school district here in San Antonio that, uh, because of an uptick in cases, has reinstated its mask mandate. I know you've heard the stories in the news lately about um, the case in Los Angeles of the parent who said, my kid was given a vaccine without my consent and bribed with pizza. Um, there's a lot of anxiety and angst in the in the schools, and it seems to be almost building back toward maybe closing them again is is this warranted in in light of what you're seeing well i hope not because we just got the report that young people had an increase in suicide attempts showing up in the emergency room up 51 percent nationwide and we've seen opioid overdoses go up thirty thousand. we've seen substance abuse mental health counselors are overwhelmed speech pathologists are concerned about kids covering their faces for two years now, we're going to have infectious diseases in schools and in society forever, in perpetuity. Our battle has never been against mild infections. Those are things that are manageable. Um, Our battle has been against hospitalizations. And for that, we have a pretty good landscape of who gets into trouble. People with a comorbidity, mainly adults, some kids with a comorbid condition. So if they have a comorbid condition, they should get vaccinated. And if kids, if kids or anyone had COVID in the past, their natural immunity is holding up pretty well so far. Now, we see that Britain is planning on invoking its Plan B, ramping up restrictions again over Omicron. And yet the reports out of South Africa seem to indicate that this is a variant that could be our way out of this virus, because this is going to probably lead to a lot more people contracting it, but in a mild way and having that natural immunity you're talking about. Well, that's what we're very hopeful about, and we're trying not to get too giddy or talk publicly about our hopefulness, but we're, we're really, really cheering this virus to be slightly more contagious and far less 
dangerous, that is more mild. And there's some early indications that, yes, it's a little more contagious or as contagious as the already very contagious Delta variant, but the cases so far have really been mild. It's We've not heard descriptions of severe illness with Omicron. We may start to, but so far we're seeing a lot of mild illnesses. Look at the reports coming out of South Africa. Three days in the hospital instead of eight. Seventy percent of the people do not require oxygen in the in the hospital report from South Africa. Um, only one person um, was um, uh, in, in, in a concerning situation. So these are very encouraging signs. Our battle, though, is not Omicron. Our battle is Delta. Delta is still taking the lives of about a thousand Americans a day, and they're very specific people. They're adults with no vaccination, and they don't have natural immunity from prior mm-hmm. infection. If you're in that group, mm-hmm. that's the group that needs to get vaccinated quickly. So uh, let me ask you about that, because I, I want to understand, does does the spread of Omicron crowd out um, or or uh, in some way overtake Delta, or, or will it be alongside of it, or how, how does this work? It, it's looking like it will crowd out Delta. So right now, the models are projecting that in Europe, Omicron will be the dominant strain in mid-January to late January. And in the United States, if we're still battling this in March, it may be the dominant strain by then. It won't really have much. It's not. It's, there's not much really to do differently in the course of your life or in the course of our recommendations for the public as doctors because of Omicron. We basically want to do the same things, get people immunized and tell people who are very vulnerable, older people and people with risk factors to get a booster or anyone who's had the J&J vaccine. It's not really holding up as a single dose very well. So if you've not had COVID in the past, that's a group that should get a booster. And Dr. McCary, where are you on this controversy over at-home testing and whether the government should be shipping it or mailing it to Americans as other countries' governments are doing to their citizens? Should Is that something that you would like to see more of? And, and how reliable are these rapid at-home tests anyway? Well, they're pretty reliable if you're willing to repeat it because if you don't have symptoms, you're in the pre-symptomatic phase the sensitivity may only be 50%, so you can't rely on it if it's a negative. If it's a positive, you can, and it's good to have more at-home testing. I'm concerned about all of the paperwork, though, to get this paid for. Do we really mm-hmm. expect everyday Texans to fill out an insurance claims form and call into some phone tree to just get reimbursed for some testing kits from the pharmacy, that's not that's an unfair burden to put on everyday Americans. Well, and realistically, it just means that that a lot of people won't do it. In in your in your read of this, would it be simpler if they simply push them out to everybody? Yes, and that's what Germany did. That would have made sense, but sometimes the government has a tough time doing things that make sense. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the name of this show. Uh, Dr. Marty McCary, always good to have you, sir. You're, you're a wise voice in these times, and we appreciate your making time for us today. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you again at uh, Johns Hopkins University. Jack here on 550 and 1071 KTSA. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, and we will. 210 599 
55-55. Uh, we're awaiting the verdict in the Jesse Smollett trial. Uh, as you know, he um, that just went to the jury, uh, so they haven't had it very long. They had the closing arguments uh, wrap up uh, yesterday. Jesse Smollett, the actor who was on the uh, TV show Empire, is facing several counts. I forget the total number, but several counts of felony disorderly conduct, false police report, uh, etc., um, if found guilty, uh, these uh, charges probably do not add up uh, to prison time, probably add up to probation and community service, but a lot of people waiting to see what will come down in that courtroom. We'll bring it to you when it does. The uh, closing argument by the prosecutor, a lawyer named Dan Webb, um, was to prove, of, of course, that this actor uh, faked a hate crime attack against himself. And in order to do that, he had to um, rely on the testimony of the Usandero brothers and convince the jury, look, these these two guys are telling the truth, and there's evidence to support uh, their claims. And... Um, he pointed out, among other things, that Jesse Smollett withheld evidence from the police that normally a crime victim would be expected to eagerly supply, like DNA, uh, that he misled the police in describing uh, his attackers, which, again, you could get it wrong, but you could also intentionally get it wrong, that he uh, faked evidence by adjusting the rope around his neck, which he said his attackers put there to make it look tighter when speaking uh, with police, and they had photos to show that he had done that, um, to show that the Osendero brothers uh, could not possibly have known where Smollett was without him telling them his location, and to point out that he didn't have any serious injuries or marks, uh, which is not in keeping uh, with the attack he described, but w- would be in keeping with what the Osendero brothers said, which was that he was uh, telling them, pull your punches, don't hurt me. Um, his defense put on a closing argument that basically came down to, why would a guy who is already rich and famous and on a hit TV show need to do something to get attention or to make money? In other words, he already had what you would normally think would be the motivation for a person trying to attract attention and sympathy. And I don't think that's a very strong argument. I mean, you know, it's all relative, right? I mean, that's like saying, well, a rich person would never steal because they already have enough. You could never make that argument. No, no, people would laugh you out of the courtroom if you made that argument. My, my, my rich client couldn't possibly have stolen anything. He's rich. Doesn't work that way. In fact, if anything, a guy like Jesse Smollett, wanting more attention, wanting victim status, wanting to play his, his cards as a black man, as a gay man, in an industry that's already very open and sympathetic to him, but wanting to 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 sort of game that and get more that that's the most twenty twenty one thing you can imagine. I mean, we live in a time where people who aren't actual victims 
claim and invent victim status because it's trendy to be one. In fact, the worst thing you can be in 2021 is a person without a grievance, is a person without a, a hyphenated, um, you know, protected class membership. So it's, it, it's, lit, I don't know, you know, look, I don't know what the jury's going to come back with, but it, it's just not a very strong argument that, well, he, he already had a lot of nice things. He, he wouldn't have done this in an effort to get more. I think you would. I, um, I've always found it hard to fathom how he thought people would, would believe that there were MAGA voters running around in Chicago, Barack Obama's town, in the middle of the night, armed with bleach and ropes, and who would recognize Jesse Smollett. It's just that that right there. But but again, when you're thinking, hey, the name of the game these days is victim status. The name of the game these days is grievance status. You know, you don't probably stop to consider. Well, is this even a credible story? Is this even something that that a person would believe out of the pale? Because all you're thinking is this checks the right boxes. You know, I'm getting Trump in there. I'm getting uh, homophobia in there. I'm getting racism in there. These are all the boxes you want to check. 210-599-5555. Um, I, I'm, I'm certainly not saying there are no hate crimes, but there have been so many fake ones that I would imagine a lot of people these days, when they hear a, a, an, a, you know, an account of one, first think, Prove it to me. I mean, good-hearted people, decent people, people that stop and help strangers on the side of the road with a breakdown or a flat tire, people that normally, if they see need, if they see hurt, respond. But this wave of hoaxing has, I think, hardened people and made them cynical. And so the irony is a guy like Jesse Smollett, who is not a an oppressed black man, is not an oppressed gay man, has probably made it harder for people who are oppressed for those reasons. He's taken their, uh, if you will, experience or potential experience, grifted it, stole it for his own weird scheme, and it's blown up in his face. 210-599-5555. Fifty-five. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, there's some news out about the governor's race, which we're going to talk about. Um, probably not a big surprise uh, announcement from the Biden administration about one of their nominees. We've got that coming up here as well on 550 and 1071 KTSA. And again, the Smollett verdict, once we hear it, we'll have that for you as well on KTSA. Um, remember we talked yesterday about the, uh, it was either yesterday or the day before, about the Christmas card that Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky did. He did the the Christmas card photo with his family, his wife, his children of various ages. His children are mostly adult or teen. Um, I think Tom Massey's probably around my age. But anyway, this photo of his family, they were all posing with guns, and it said, Merry Christmas, P.S., Santa, please bring ammo. And everybody had these meltdowns and were just outraged and 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 triggered pardon the pun 
And somebody had to say it, and it was an analyst on CNN who came up with this. If there were black or brown families all posing with guns in front of their Christmas trees on social media, do you think these same GOP reps would be celebrating it as Second Amendment freedom or using it to fearmonger about race war? Um, the only people who seem consistently freaked out about anyone holding guns are liberal Democrats. I, I keep getting this. I, I get this thrown at me all the time. Well, you'd, you'd feel differently if it was black people with guns. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> what gives you that idea? How do you know that? Well, I know how you would be. No, no I don't think you do. In fact, I actually know a little something about the history of the NRA and the modern-day uh, revival around the Second Amendment, and it was driven by the Civil Rights Movement and by black Southerners who could not rely on local police. When they were in fear of their lives in their homes, their gun, their rifle, in the Jim Crow South was it. That was all they had. If they had called police, they weren't going to get them. And it wasn't because the police had been defunded. So, you don't know that. I don't know anyone whose reaction is that. I the, the, the gun owners I know are always glad when another person joins the lawful, responsible gun ownership Brotherhood and Sisterhood of America, whatever you want to call it. When people join the ranks for the right reasons, because they want to defend themselves and their family and their property, because they want to learn how to handle it, there's there's joy, there's celebration that another person has come over. It's not, oh, whoa, wait a minute, we don't want their kind. That is a total fantasy of the American left. And it's their it's their deal, it's their baggage. They're afraid of guns. That's really what this is all about. I've told you this before. In many parts of the country, and I grew up in one, I can say this. You've never in your life seen or touched a gun. You've never been around one. There's never been one in your house. You've never known anyone that had a gun. That was my childhood. And that makes them very frightening and very scary. And you, you think they can go off by themselves and they're devious. They have minds of their own. You mask that in a lot of rhetoric about safety and responsibility and the Wild West, but it's, the truth is you just don't know anything about them. And I liken it in a way to, I'm afraid of snakes. But I know there are people that handle poisonous snakes all the time. I had a friend when I lived in upstate New York, and he went around. He was one of those guys that went around and you know did like exhibits at museums and schools where he'd bring the snakes in and educate the kids about the different breeds of snake. And he would hold, and he he came on my show a few times and handed me snakes. And after he would hand me the snake, then he would tell me how lethal it was. And um, but see, he could do it because he knew what he was doing, and I couldn't do it, or I was afraid of it because I didn't know anything about the snakes. Project that or, you know, impose that on how a lot of lefties think about guns. 
It's not even a thought. It's not even rational. It's just fear of the unknown. And and I don't know what Thomas Massey and his family were thinking. It seems a little over the top to me. It doesn't seem like a like a real Christmassy image to <laughs> stand there with your guns. But but I mean, I almost wonder if maybe it was meant to elicit exactly the response that it did. It it it, it is there is a certain joy I have to admit in watching these people just have predictable volcanic meltdowns every time. You always know what they're going to do. They do it like clockwork. I never really did understand Beto O'Rourke's decision to run for governor as a political decision. I've always understood it more as a as like a marketing decision. Beto is a brand, you know? If you think he's in it for, for you or to fight for you or issues, he's not. Beto O'Rourke is in the business of Beto O'Rourke. And when you're in that kind of business, you have to constantly be in motion. You have to be doing something, running for something, striving for something. You have to have a new product. So the decision to run for governor, just I didn't see the, it doesn't seem to be an obvious opening there. And now a Quinnipiac poll shows that he's trailing uh, Governor Abbott by 15 points. In a head-to-head matchup, he leads uh, O'Rourke 52 to 37 percent this is registered voters released today republicans backing abbott 90 percent uh independents backing abbott by 10 percentage points democrats backing o'rourke 87 percent to six percent uh beto only has a 36 percent favorable uh rating I, i think there may be more republicans wondering if they want to keep greg abbott as their nominee then there are Texans wondering if they want to keep Craig Abbott as their governor. I just don't, there just doesn't seem to be a, a place for this. But, but again, the Beto O'Rourke's of the world are, um, are a brand. And it's not just on the left. Um, I saw some interesting comments. I think, you know, I'm a pretty big fan of, of Dan Crenshaw, the congressman from Houston. Um, and he made some interesting comments. I don't know. Do you see this or hear this? He is calling out. Some of the most um, prominent members of the so-called Freedom Caucus in the House, people like uh, Congressman Matt Gates, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, and others. And he's saying these people are show ponies. These aren't. They don't really do the work. They don't really believe the. You know, they don't. They don't walk the, the walk. They just talk the talk. He says they know how to say slogans, but they don't get anything done. And he he pointed out. Some of those Republicans that voted to impeach President Trump voted for Trump's legislative packages at a much higher rate than the Freedom Caucus. So his point was, if you're conservative, don't fall for the shuck and jive of people that are just show ponies, that are just a brand. That Matt Gates in Florida... He's an attention whore. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. You know, he's the he's the Eric Swalwell of of the Republican Party. You know, let me get on TV. Let me make sure my hair is good. You know, it's there's nothing there, and there's a lot of that in politics. And I don't just mean these days. There always has been. There are people that want to do stuff and move the needle and make change and there are people that just want to be on television just want to be famous just want to have the trappings and there's overlap some sometimes people are both but but i mean 
I think Beto is a brand. I, I don't think most people who support him can even exactly say why. Affirming him, putting the sticker on your car for him, allows you to say something. It's shorthand about yourself. It, it, it lets other people know a little bit about where you're at. You know, if you're in your car, they can't see your NPR tote bags. So you've got to have your Beto sticker on the back, right? I mean, that's how it works, right? The other thing about Beto O'Rourke is, you know, every dollar poured into his campaign, and a lot has been and will be, is one less dollar that could be used in a race the Democrats might actually win. You know, Democrats could run competitively for other statewide offices like Attorney General. They could run competitively for legislative seats or congressional seats. And yet he absorbs a lot of the dollars that would probably go further or have more of a chance of, of having a, you know. And so maybe if you're a Republican, you should be cheering on Beto because he's, he's basically like a giant leak in the Democratic Party's boat. And, um, you should root for him staying in this thing as long as he can. Speaking of staying in, I see where Matthew Dowd has already dropped out of the lieutenant governor's race. Now you may remember Matthew Dowd worked for President Bush. And then he's one of these uh, Republican people who uh, broke up with the Republicans during Trump. He um, declared that he was going to run for lieutenant governor as a Democrat. And he did that at the same time that he released a book. I don't know very much about the book. I've seen him do a couple of interviews about the book, but I was in a place where I had the audio down. I didn't, I didn't hear what the book is about. So he announces he's running for office. He's a he's a converted Democrat. He's going to be a different kind of politician. And he's got a book. He wants to sell the book. So he gets a bunch of interviews premised on his run for office in Texas, but he gets to plug the book while he's at it. Now he's dropping out of the race. I think he I think he swindled all those television shows and networks that interviewed him. They interviewed him because they thought he was going to be in the race for lieutenant governor. He was just trying to sell the book. And you know what he said when he dropped out? He said that he's a white Christian man, and we need a diverse field of candidates, so he's going to get out of the way. He's going to stand down as a candidate so that minority candidates and women candidates can can do better. That's kind of presuming a lot, isn't it? Doesn't that sort of like mansplaining? Like, I'm I'm so great that my presence in the race would would eclipse a black candidate or a woman candidate. Really? Because I think you're kind of dull, Matt. Matt was the guy, by the way, I've told this story before. Matt was the guy that the geniuses in the uh, former former management of this uh, company, not the people that run it now, but they thought he was perfect for KTSA. Oh, you you should have him on all the shows, and you should interview him and pick his brain about politics. He's great. You got Trey and Jack. You guys want to have him, and I, you know, it was, it was literally like one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. And it didn't happen, and we didn't do it, and it would have blown up. But uh, yeah, he's uh, now saying he will step out of the lieutenant governor's race to make room for the diversity we need in politics. I wonder why get into the race 
I mean, weren't you a white Christian male when you got in, or did you become one recently? It's weird. I'm trying to figure that out. Running a couple of errands last night after the show, and we're now in that time of year where you see people um, in the stores kind of, they kind of look like shopping zombies. They have that thousand-yard stare. And um, either they are trying to find something that eludes them, you know, that item, that, that thing that, I was sure this store had it. Or they're just, I think even more, there's people now just like, if I walk around in a store, maybe gift ideas will come to me. I'll Stuff will just pop out at me. Oh, that's good for her. That's good for him. Look, when it comes to the easiest Christmas shopping you will ever do, if I may say so, it's wrapping with Jack. Because these these families that we're helping out with Family Service Association, the things they need, are the most basic things. You know, their kids need clothes, baby clothes, kid clothes, uh, sweats, socks. Um, these families need towels and bed linens and blankets. And these kids will play with Nerf footballs and any kind of game. A hairbrush, a doll, um, colored pencils. And so these are things you find everywhere. These are things that are in every kind of store you go into, right? I mean, literally, every place has these or some of these things. So the easiest shopping you'll ever do are the gifts you pick up and drop off with our sponsor locations, all quarter-moon plumbing trucks, all uh, locations um, of our sponsors, so Institute for Functional Health, Copenhagen Furniture, River City Oral Surgery, KTSA, the KTSA Lobby during business hours, also a drop-off location. And um, if you prefer to shop in person, just know that you're walking by the very things these families need every day, and it's, they're very affordable and basic, and you can get them at dollar stores. And um, When Gabby was little, I used to take her to the dollar store. We would pick out things. For the Family Service Association families, I'd, I'd say, okay, we're going to spend, you know, X number of dollars in this store, and she would figure out how many things she could throw in the wagon for that amount and um, do it with your kids. And then if you prefer not to go to the stores, if you're not a brick-and-mortar retail kind of person, and believe me, I get it, I try not to be either, um, we have uh, options online when you go to ktsa.com and the Rapping with Jack Page, you can just donate money right there. They'll go and shop with your donation. Or uh, they have an Amazon wish list. You pick things off the list, and those things ship right to Family Service Association. And something I always try to mention about Rapping with Jack, when when it's all said and done, and they've got all the gifts together, and so this particular family, they make up a bag and there's a gift in that bag for each member of the family, parent or grandparent, kids, they have the head of the household pick up that bag and bring that bag home. And then they can do whatever they want to do. They can hand those gifts out on Christmas Eve. They can stick them under the tree and have the kids wake up to them Christmas morning. They can do it however they want to do it. A lot of Christmas charities, and I'm not running anybody down, but a lot of Christmas charities will have like a Santa Claus deliver the toys to the house or a volunteer will ring the doorbell and, and hand. And, and that's well intentioned, but it's a little bit, it, it kind of, it kind of injures the dignity of whoever the provider is or the head of the household is. 
We want them to provide Christmas to their family. We want it to come from them. We want everybody to be happy and positive, and we want the kids to believe in, in Santa Claus, and we don't want it to look like, oh, you know, we're, we're so hard up that this guy pulled up in a Santa Claus suit. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not running anybody down. I'm not putting down anybody else's model, but I was really impressed by that detail, that they had thought that through at Family Service Association. And when I first started working with them, that was one of the first things they told me, that we make absolutely certain in each one of these families, and they're all different, but we make sure that everyone has dignity and uh, no one feels like a charity case. So if that helps you uh, make the decision to support Rappel with Jack, or if that reinforces the decision you've already made, I just wanted you to know that. I know we have a lot of people that have heard it before, but we have a lot of new people who've come to the show this year or come to the station this year. So um, KTSA.com, Rappin' with Jack Button, hit it and do what you can, please. We just have a few days left, um, and we'll keep you posted on all of that. In the news today, the San Antonio Independent School District has reinstated their mask mandate. They say they have an uptick of cases in the uh, district, and they think there might be more after the holidays. The uh, CEO of the largest healthcare company in South Africa says Omicron might actually be the end of COVID-19. Richard Friedland says, uh, based on what they're seeing, and they've now been into this about four weeks, we would have thought, based on previous experience, we'd see very significant increases in hospital admissions, and we're not seeing that. Um, quote, so I actually think there is a silver lining here, and this may signal the end of COVID-19 with it attenuating itself to such an extent that it's highly contagious but doesn't cause severe disease. Look, to be fair, we don't know. Maybe in a couple of weeks or a few weeks we're going to be dealing with this or thinking about this very, very differently. We don't know. But it just seems to me that there are two schools of thought, and we shouldn't pretend there's only one. So the one you hear about is back to masks, more mandates, uh, more coercion toward the vaccine, you know, back to the future, you know, back to the doubling down on the things that didn't really work last time and also had a very heavy human cost. You should know that the political leadership in much of the world is actively considering doing again the things that we have just spent the last several months saying, let's never do that again. We're still tallying the human cost, the cost to our children, the cost in people's lives and mental health and drug addiction and depression and isolation. And even as we're still reeling from the human cost of all that, we're actively toying with doing it all again. The other school of thought, and again, I'm not saying I know because we don't, but it's worth thinking about, is that this is, this is how you get out of a pandemic. The virus keeps mutating into forms that are increasingly more transmissible, but increasingly less um, harmful and dangerous to the people who get it. So that eventually, if you haven't had COVID, 
maybe your experience with COVID will be that you, you felt like you had a cold. You know, we don't really know how the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918-19 ended. It seemed to just go away. The available technology of the time didn't allow for, you know, uh, mapping the genome of the virus. They couldn't say, we have this variant, we have this new mutation. They didn't have that. So it's very possible, say people who've studied the Spanish flu epidemic, it's very possible that people in, say, the year 1919 or the year 1920, who thought they had a cold, really just had the tail end, the, you know, either penultimate or ultimate variant of that virus. This may be what Omicron is signaling. We don't know. Politicians are definitely signaling that they are worried about vaccine mandates. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who's one of the most tyrannical, mandate-happy, lockdown-happy politicians in all of America, has now said she's against Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. This This is a Democrat. This is somebody who President Biden considered as a running mate. But I think what's happening is they're looking at polling. It's not that they've realized their mistake or they've become constitutionalists. They are looking at internal numbers, not the ones we get on the news. You know, we get kind of a Cliff Notes version of what the political parties do when it comes to um, polling and surveys and focus groups. I I can assure you they are much less surprised. When an election is surprising or we talk about an upset or whatever, they are much less surprised than you are or I am because they know. In 2016, for example, there were people in the Democratic Party who knew for two weeks that Donald Trump was going to win that election. They just didn't know what to do about it. So anyway, I think they're looking at numbers, and I think the numbers on vaccine mandates are killing them. I think they're finding that it's not just unpopular among Republicans or conservatives, it's unpopular among the base of the Democratic Party. It's a funny thing. When you tell your base for 50 years, when you yell and scream, my body, my choice, at your base, funny thing, people start to believe that. They start to think, yeah, that's right. And then when you say, except right now, they're not good with that. That doesn't work for them. This is no surprise. Uh, President Biden's pick to be the controller of the currency Sala Amarova has either withdrawn her name or the administration has withdrawn her name, depending upon which news source you believe. Remember, she was the um, nominee who had been born in the former Soviet Union, had gone to college there, had belonged to the communist youth movement in Russia, and had written her thesis against capitalism. She was... um, even in recent months, still uh, preaching and talking about the same thing she wrote in her thesis. She believes the government should remove private checking accounts from individual holders. She believes that savings and investment should be held by the government. 
and money should be rationed out through the Fed. She believes that banking uh, uh, regulations and policy should intentionally bankrupt the oil and gas industry and any other allied industries that use or rely on fossil fuels. We should be trying, the government, she said, should be trying to put them out of business. Now, the way the media are spinning the Saleh Amarova story today, they're saying, well, Republicans smeared her as a communist. That's a joke. Republicans didn't do very much of anything about Saleh Amarova. They were pretty weak on her, actually. She is a communist. It's not a smear when it's true. When you believe what she believes, when you're still saying it now, this isn't the misspent youth of somebody who, oh, when I was young, I had some crazy ideas. This is, this is stuff she's written about and said in the last several months. Stuff she was still defending in her Senate hearings last uh, couple of months ago. They didn't paint her as a communist. She actually is one. And it's funny, even in their defeat, they're doubling down on the insanity. They're still, so they're, they're free of this woman. They don't have to defend her anymore. It was a terrible choice. And now they're, they're off the hook. But they're still insisting, no, she was really a good person. She was really a victim. You missed out, America. You could have had Saleh Amarova. You're a loss. Okay. If time travel were possible, if time travel were possible, if you could go to, you know, Elon Musk and he had some device and you could set it or they could set it for any time in the past or any time in the future, would you go backward or forward or are you not interested? No, thank you. <laughs> I'll stay right here. I'll take what I've got. Time travel. You know, think about all the television shows and movies. If you think about it, it's really been a popular theme in our culture for a long time. You've got all these shows like Doctor Who and Quantum Leap and various episodes of The Twilight Zone, right? And then they make a lot of movies, you know, about what if you could change past events. There was a great Stephen King uh, book called 112263 about changing the events of that day. And books like The Time Machine and A Wrinkle in Time and Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. If you have not read that by Mark Twain, by the way, that is so much fun. Mark Twain takes a, like a 19th century guy who um, is a pretty simple guy, pretty basic guy, puts him back in the time of King Arthur, and he's explaining like telegraphs to them and <laughs> electricity, and it's wild. And he sort of becomes the... Because he knows what's coming, and he just has a rudimentary, he's not a, a scientist or a, a genius, he's just a guy that knows what is in the future. He is, in a sense, the most powerful, influential, admired um, person in this Arthurian society. So would you want to go back in time? Because then you could not only see what, Maybe what you missed out on or see how things really were, you know, like I want to go back to a certain period and see if it was really like I've read about or heard about. But also while you're there, you know everything you know now. 
mean, imagine how funny it would be to go back to the 1980s and tell people Donald Trump is going to be the president of the United States. They'd be laughing their heads off, or maybe not. I don't know. Of course, if you told them Joe Biden's going to be the president of the United States, they'd be laughing their heads off, too. So You'll probably get a lot of laughs no matter what you tell them. Or you could go into the future. Now, if you went into the future, you would probably feel at a disadvantage, right? Because now you'd be around people who knew how to use and were interacting with all of these capabilities that would be alien or, or foreign or unfamiliar to us. But maybe you want to go into the future because you're dying to see how things turn out. Where are we at? How far forward would you go? And maybe there'd be a limit, like maybe a time travel device could only go so far back or only so far forward. We got stacks and stacks of wax and wax. We got the pick to click the ones to watch the oldies but goodies and newies but gooies. We got the top 700 records. Next week it'll be a golden oldie. Let's hear it. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Don't want a doll, no dinky tinker toy. I want a hippopotamus to play with and enjoy. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Mm. The uh, the talent is obvious. It's uh... <laughs> you're you're going through to the next round. All right, we're hearing one of the most collectible, valuable Christmas records. Our next guest is going to tell us all about them with a website called MoneyMusic.com. We welcome back on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Mighty John Marshall. Merry Christmas, Mighty John. Merry Christmas, Jack. Great to be with you. That's a great Great song. to have you. It's an earworm now. I'll be singing that for the next it, two hours. It is. It is. A, it's an earworm or it's a worm of some kind. Um, we'll, we'll get to her in all her glory. But uh, for folks that have not heard John Marshall before, he's a uh, vinyl enthusiast. He's a record collector. He's a, a radio guy from back in the day. And um, he has amassed a... Um, I guess you'd say a database of of collectible value uh, values for collectible records over a million, right? Right. The uh, guide that we put out lists the values for over a million records by over mm. seventy five thousand different recording artists from nineteen oh two to the present day. Nineteen ninety five, free shipping. Great Christmas present. Now he he'll be the first to tell you not every old record is collectible, not every version of a collectible song or or artist is collectible, but when you have the right product, people will pay insane amounts of money for it, and we're going to find out and if you have a question about an old record you have lying around the house, you can call right now. We'll take that call for John here at 210-599 5555 2105995555 so these are the 12 most valuable christmas records i just heard this one today as a matter of fact on one of the satellite uh, channels at number 12 bobby darren bobby darren had a 45 of oh come all ye faithful and with its little picture sleeve that it came in up to 125 dollars now most of the value is for the picture sleeve up mm. to 100 dollars by itself all right so yeah. If you could, we were talking about time travel earlier. If you could go back in time, 
you should really have saved all those picture sleeves <laughs> from all those records. We didn't think that mattered. We weren't. We were trying to take care of the record. We weren't trying to take care of that piece of paper. Turns well, out that's, that's the valuable part. Survived. Yeah, value's much higher. Most people just hung them on the wall, stuck a thumbtack mm-hmm. in them, and they deteriorated over the years. There you go. All right, at number eleven, um, this is one of those. Uh, I guess you'd say multiple artist uh, Christmas albums, right? Yeah, Phil Spector, who was famous for the girl groups, the Crystals and the Ronettes, put out an album called A Christmas Gift for You, featuring those ladies, and that album, too, currently up to $125. It's amazing how the Ronettes, in particular, and the Crystals, to some extent, that music has never, those Christmas songs have never gone off the radio in all these years. If you have a hit Christmas record, you're heard every year. That's why a lot of people wanted to do Christmas songs. Yeah, so that's uh, $125 for that album. Again, we're taking your calls for John Marshall. If you have a question about uh, a vinyl album or 45 or or 78 uh, that you want to ask him about, 210-599-5555. Got some Motown here at number 10. Well, you know, Motown is a very collectible form of records. Uh, anything on Motown is going to be worth money. The Supremes especially, they put out a Christmas album simply called Merry Christmas by the Supremes on Motown up to a hundred and fifty dollars. Hmm. Now, yeah. is that something that is just in limited supply, or what, what has driven the the cost of that or the value of that up? Well, the value is because it's the Supremes, not because it's Christmas music. Uh, okay. Again, Motown very collectible, and they have records that are worth in the thousand dollar price range, so they're very collectible. All right, at number nine, Jimi Hendrix. Who would have thunk? Jimi Hendrix and Christmas, but he put out an EP, a seven-inch album, Silent Night, Little Drummer Boy, Medley, current value up to $200. And we always say up to, because condition of the vinyl and of the cover makes a big difference. In fact, I notice when people call in, they've often made a critical but well-intentioned mistake. If they have an old album and it's still in the plastic, you immediately tell them to slit open that plastic. Yeah, split that seal. Um, you're not going to hurt the value. If you keep it still sealed, you run the risk of the record being so tightly confined that over time it will press against the cover and leave the record circular record impression on the cover, mm. which will ruin the value of the cover, which in most cases is half the value. Yeah. All right. So open up the plastic and you're still... Everything will still it'll still be considered by a collector pristine, even with yes. that plastic split yep. open. Because they're going to want to see the condition it's in anyway, right? Right. And many times we tell the value of a record by something either printed on the label mm. or the color of the label. And if we can't see it, we can't tell. Number eight, we're back to uh, one of the Motown-affiliated labels uh, with Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Their album, Christmas with the Miracles. Current value on that up to $200. I'm wondering, with something like that, John, or the Supremes, might there be more than one issue or reissue of those? And is it is it the original that draws that, that collectible price? Yes. Collectors always want the original issues. I do not believe these have been reissued over the years. They've been put out on CDs, but collectors want the vinyl. Okay. Number seven, we have, uh, of course, a song we hear every year and all through the season, Bobby Helms' Jingle Bell Rock. Now, this is a case where it has been re-released several times over the years, but collectors want it on the original record label, which is Decca Records. Bobby Helms, Jingle Bell Rock on Decca Records with picture sleeve up to $225.
Hmm. What would it be if you had just the deck of 45 without the picture sleeve? $25. Okay, so look, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't found the picture sleeve, keep looking. Uh, definitely. Um, all right, we just heard it a minute ago. This is a, this is a song that has been covered by so many artists. Even to the current day, there are new versions this year of I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. But who is Gayla Peavy? Gayla Peavy is the 12-year-old girl, 12 years old at the time, who recorded first I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Again, the picture sleeve is the, where the big money is. $250 with the record, $225 just for the picture sleeve. And the reason it's worth money is not because it's a Christmas record, not because of Gayla Peavy. It is one of the first known 45s to come with a picture sleeve. And that's what makes oh. it worth money. I was looking her up. She's actually still around. She's still uh, living in Oklahoma City. and yeah. yeah, I understand that every time there's a new uh, hippopotamus that comes to a zoo somewhere, they invite her for the uh, debut of the new hippopotamus. Oh, see, I don't know if I believe that. I believe almost everything you say, but I don't know if, I don't know if I believe that, even from you. Uh, She's been living off that 45 for a long time. I, every time I hear that song, I think, why, why a hippopotamus? But it's just, I guess it's a fun word to say, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this one, this next one, this stings me a little, John, because I had this album, Ooh. and it was stolen oh. at a radio station. I, I lost this at a radio station, and I, I've never gotten over the loss. This is a Motown compilation album. It's all their artists doing just beautiful versions of Christmas songs. Yeah, the name of the album is Merry Christmas from Motown, featuring The Supremes, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, and Smokey and the Miracles. So it's mm. a great album. I'm sorry you lost it, but uh, current value up to $300. Well, I'll tell you what. When I saw that, I thought, you know, I wouldn't part. As, as much as that $300 is tempting, I wouldn't part with it. That was one of the prettiest Christmas albums I have ever heard. Yeah, great album. We're uh, taking some calls from Mighty John Marshall, the records guy. If you want to follow up on collectible vinyl, you should go to moneymusic.com. They do a record of the day. You can find out about that price guide, so maybe you can price all the vinyl in your collection. Um, and let's see, Ben is on KTSA with Mighty John. Uh, ben, good evening to you. Hello, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I have a gold record um, that was it says presented to Bob Dylan to commemorate the sale of more than 5,000 copies of the Columbia Records long playing record album The Free Willing Bob Dylan it also has the Stole the Beast of New York um, I guess auction sticker still on it okay well this is like uh, these are, uh, in general these records that were sent to radio stations or to artists for selling a million copies of a record in general they're worth about what they cost to make which is 100 to 125 dollars but this is Bob Dylan um, this is a one of a kind, so it doesn't have an established price because it, it's worth whatever Sotheby's sold it for. But I don't know what they sold it for. But when there's only one of an item, you really can't put an established price on it other than what it's sold for. Do you know what it sold huh? for? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I did call Sotheby's and I was going to put it back on the market. I did not accept it, but they were going to put it on for twenty five hundred. Yeah. Um, so that's, I was just curious. Um, I bought it for twenty five dollars. 
the Freewheeling Bob Dylan is one of the most collectible albums out there, if you have a copy. And on it is the song, Talking John Birch, Society Blues. If that song is on the album, it's worth up to $18,000. You know why I don't have that one? (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not on this one. Okay. Well, Ben, great question. Thank you for that. That's the first time I think we've had a question about a gold record. Which, as you point out, is is different. That's something that's sent out, or or right. that's that's meant to hang on the wall, right? Not to play on a on a turntable. More of a piece of memorabilia than a record right. collectible. Yep. Right. Um, what about because this always comes up? What about records that are marked or printed as promotional or radio airplay only? Well, we have a couple of them coming up in the countdown here, but they can be extremely collectible. So they're more that version of. The XYZ album is more collectible, worth more to a collector than the the one that was sold in record stores. If the recording artist is collectible. If the recording artist the isn't place. that collectible, then they'd be worth the same. Okay. Um, at number four on our countdown, as we mentioned, we're counting down the twelve most uh, valuable records. We've had some we've had some one offs, but the the next four are the, exactly the people you would expect to find at the top of any collectible record survey, right? Right. We got the Beatles, their Beatles Christmas album from 1971 on Apple Records, current value up to $500. Right. And John Lennon is at number three. Yeah, he died on this day back in 1980. John Mm -hmm. Lennon. Happy Christmas. War is over. Now the copy sold in the stores, $10. But if you have one that says promotional copy, not for sale, radio station copy, current value Mm -hmm. up to $750. Wow. Wow, that is a big difference. Yeah. Um, number two on your list is Elvis, and this yep. is, again, a very specific uh, issue of Blue Christmas. Well, you know, Blue Christmas is his most famous Christmas song. It was released on his album in 1957, never released as a 45 until the early 1970s. So if you have a single from 1957, you have a promo copy worth up to $3,000. Interesting. I did not know that. So the, yeah. the public could not buy that 45 at the time the song came out. That's correct. That's correct. So it was sent only to radio stations and, and for promotional. And then Elvis is also at number one with his Elvis Christmas album. Right. And it contains, of course, Blue Christmas. There have been several Elvis Christmas albums over the years. Collectors, mm. they want the original from 1957. Let me give you the catalog number that will appear on an original so you'll know whether you have the big one. And that's LOC 1035. LOC 1035. If you see those numbers on the cover, it's uh, black vinyl up to 800, red vinyl with a record is red. And we found a couple of them doing record in, uh, interviews up to $15,000. $15,000. Yes. You know what? Even if I, you know, even the biggest Elvis Presley fan would have to think, you know, uh, I can make a, I can make a copy of it and let this go. You won't have that a Blue Christmas something. if you have that album. That's for sure. How, so how do we know how many of those there were, or do we have any well, idea? As of now, I know of seven of them. That's how many we found, oh. but we don't know how wow. many were released. But obviously, at that price, there aren't that many of them out there. Now there are be. green vinyl copies. But those are counterfeits, so you have to be careful. In the mm. price guide that we put out, we list all known counterfeits, so you know what to look for. All right. 210-599-5555. William with a question from Mighty John Marshall and KTSA. Hi, William. How you doing tonight? Let me check. Uh, good. 
so we have a Brenda Lee album. It's rocking around the Christmas tree. Great artist. She doesn't quite make our list. That album should be on Decca Records to be an original. Would be worth up to seventy-five dollars. That's not too bad for an old record. No. no. I always no. consider what did it originally sell for, which is probably two bucks. You know, so right. <laughs> pretty good return. All right, William, thank you for the call, sir. Um, one of the tips you always give people, John, obviously people call in with vinyl they already have, but if you want to get into collecting records, you say hit, hit up those garage sales and ask for it if you don't see it. Yeah, a lot of people just drive by yard sales and garage sales, and if they don't see what they're looking for, they keep on going. Don't do that with records. Always stop and ask, do you have any records? By asking that question over the years, I have come across the most valuable records. All right. And then the other thing you got to do is practice your poker face <laughs> yes. in the mirror so that when they bring out the $18,000 album and they say, I'll let this go for 25 cents, 50 cents, you have to keep that poker face, right? Yeah. And remember, you're only paying what they're asking. You're not, you know, that's, that's what they're asking. Yeah. So that's what yeah. you're paying. Yeah. I mean, y- y- they didn't pay 18 grand for it. No. So you're not robbing them. No. And they didn't, they didn't listen to this show. Which means they've already made an incredible mistake in their life, and they don't know about MoneyMusic.com. So, you know, you do. That's to your advantage. But I got to tell you, MoneyMusic.com, Mighty John Marshall. What's the weather like in Maine tonight? Uh, snowing. So. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. See. White Christmas. You know what? Keep that. Keep that up there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, John. If we don't talk, have a merry Christmas, you and your family, and thank you for doing this with us. We love having you on the show. Thank you, Jack. You too. Merry Christmas. KTSA News Time 640. Coming up this half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll. We'll see how you voted on the time travel question tonight. If time travel were possible, would you go backwards or forward? I, I, and I've thought about this today, and I don't always vote in the poll, but I'm going to vote. Um, I would go back because I am fascinated by history because I really want to know if certain things I surmise or have read about were the way they were. I want to, you know what? I, there's a lot of history that I want to see through the eyes and experience of just the people that were alive at that time. You know, the thing about reading history or, or learning history is that you're usually getting the interpretation or the account or the experience of people who were perhaps famous or powerful but what if you could know what it was like to be a person like you and me at that time or in that you know situation and also i i can't go forward because i am barely able to deal with with technology now if you put me a hundred years into the future i'm i'm clueless now right a hundred years into the future i would be dumbstruck i would i wouldn't know what to do so I'd go back. 
And I, I, I don't know about what specific time, like, do you have a specific period or time that you would go back to? I mean, I'm curious about a lot of different eras. I don't think I'd want to go too far back. I'm definitely not, like, going back to, like, the 18th century or something like that. Not, not, not that far. Probably sometime in the, I probably, ha- I probably have some uh, stops I'd like to make in the, in the 20th century. What about you? Back, forward, no interest, staying right where I am. Time travel, 210-599-5555. Speaking of history, uh, we mentioned this during the uh, Mighty John segment. Today is the day, 41 years ago, that John Lennon was assassinated. This is also the day, this is kind of weird, these would both happen on the same day. This is the day that the Eagles released Hotel California in 1976. It became, has become, the third best-selling album of all time the eagles hotel california and i think the eagles greatest hits is actually either number one or number two so the eagles have two of the top three best-selling albums of all time but this is the release date for hotel california you know when i was in radio and we would get vinyl you would get it on tuesdays i don't know if they still do this with new music but Tuesday was New Music Day. So you would get it, and you would get a lot of it. And if you were a program director or a music director or even a disc jockey, you come to work on Tuesday, there'd be a lot of boxes, and you'd, they're very distinctive looking from the record companies, and they were often labeled with the record logos, you know, Warner Brothers or whatever. And um, when I think back to those times, it, it's a wonder that, we didn't just lose the gems in the quantity because there'd be so much to go through. And yet in amongst all of that, mostly soon to be forgotten, most of it lost to history, names, bands, artists, no one remembers anymore, there'd be the occasional Hotel California. But it, would be, it wouldn't be like you'd know when you got it, oh, this is going to be big. 210 599 55, and Kurt is on the radio with uh, a thought about time travel. All right, Kurt, would you go forward or back if if time travel were possible? Well, I echo your sentiments, Jack. I would go back, and it's it's, it's an interesting, intriguing question. And you reminded me, uh, I was in Ireland in 03 on a kind of a bucket list trip with my great uncle and great aunt and my sister, we flew into Shannon, and we, we just toured the country for two weeks in August. No rain, which is rare. And we saw all these castles. And I remember we were at, I don't know, Hill of Slain, or I can't remember where, where we were at, you know, Kilk and I. And I just remember I was so intrigued by these castles. And they were, you know, they weren't German castles, but of, of, of that magnitude, magnificence. Mm-hmm. But I just remember thinking, like, what were what? So so impressed by what was going on in the you know the the 15th century 14th century in Ireland, and I remember positing this question um, to my sister, to my great uncle, to my great aunt. What would you do? Because I was just I was like, man, I would love to have known what they were do what they were going through uh, um, uh, back in those centuries. And uh, that's my take: is I would like to have, have, have revisit that mm-hmm. you know, go back six I feel the same way when I see a place like that uh, it's 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 great to see it but you would love to have seen it 
in its time or in, in its when when the sure. when the people were contemporary to it and 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 even to see some of those things as they were originally intended not as museums or tourist attractions like they are now mm-hmm. yep yeah very good point thank you kurt appreciate it appreciate Roger. the call tonight yeah it's an interesting thing to think about and i think that's why so many movies and books and television shows have been made about about time travel um, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of time travel. Like most people, when you say that, they think of going back to a specific moment. Peggy Sue got married. But but then I'm always intrigued by, and I love this movie, and we've talked about this before, um, the, the, the concept of the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, where it's just one day that he lives over and over again. And at first he's he's, you know, horrified and, and uh you know bummed out that he's stuck in this but then he figures out i can perfect this day if i keep doing it i can perfect it but then even the perfection of it becomes miserable right i mean that's a i've said this before and I, and people challenge me on it that's a funny movie that's a bill murray funny movie slapstick comedy right but if you really stop and think about it that's a pretty deep movie because he gets to perfect that day, and we always think about, oh, if only I had thought to say this, if only I had thought to do that. Well, he does it. He, he, he goes back and fixes it, and he still hates it. Maybe if you had thought of the thing you didn't say or if you had done the thing you didn't do, maybe it wouldn't have made you happy. You ever think about that? Oh, if only I had known then what I know now. He, he gets to do all that in the movie. His character does. And it still doesn't bring him happiness. And it turns out that he's only happy when he finally moves forward. Well, am I ruining it? If you haven't seen it, I won't. I won't say. You're not. You're not going to be able to fix the past. I guess is the moral of the story. Groundhog Day. But yeah, a lot of Back to the Future, uh, Bill and Ted. These are all time travel movies. And again, a lot of television shows and a lot of books. Uh, mentioned uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Um, wrinkle in Time, Time Machine. All right, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing. If time travel were possible, would you go backward or forward? 55% tonight said they would go back in time. 55% would go back in time. 20% would go forward in time. They want to explore the future. And 25% said, I'll stay right where I am. Thank you very much. Hillary Clinton is living in the past. I think we know that. She's decided it would be a good idea on a a new um, webinar that she's doing to deliver the victory speech she didn't get to deliver on election night in 2016. Are you up for that? Yeah, I'm not either. Let's not. (laughs) It's... I mean, really, she, remember, she didn't even give a concession speech that night. She said she didn't write one. She was sure she was going to win. But now she's reading, we'll play it tomorrow. Yeah, I, I don't want to, no sense ruining the rest of your night, but you can hear Hillary Clinton's victory speech. Um, I want to play this for you as we end the show tonight. This is one of my favorite Christmas songs that you very, very seldom hear on the radio. It came out in 1950. And it was a big hit on the radio in 1950 for a singer named Dennis Day. But my version that I love is this one right here by Bing Crosby from his Merry Christmas album. 
This is Bing and Christmas in Killarney. Have a good night. The holly green, the ivy green, the prettiest picture you've ever seen is Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. It's nice to know to kiss your bow while cuddling under the mistletoe. And Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call, and Father John, before he's gone, will bless the house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no blarney, the likes you've never known. is Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. Christmas in Killarney is wonderful to see. Listen to my story and I'll take you back with me. The holly green, the ivy green, the prettiest picture you've ever seen. It's Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. It's nice, you know, to kiss your bow while cuddling under the mistletoe. And Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call. And Father John, before he's gone, will bless the house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no blarney, the likes you've never known. It's Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call, and Father John, before he's gone, will bless the house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no blarney, the likes you've never known is Christmas in Killarney, with all of the folks at home.